Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campia Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. And guys, I hope you had a fantastic weekend filled with relaxation and fun preparing you for another week of glorious triumph and victory that lay ahead for all of us. And uh, first things first, I want to talk about what happened on the John Campia show on uh, on Friday. So for those of you who tuned in, we started the show and about three minutes into it, the there was a big internet outage in my entire neighborhood and it was down all day. So we do the show at like 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Los Angeles time. The internet didn't get back up fully fun, fully running till about 7 p.m. in the evening. So uh, it was pretty rough. Ann and I had to sit down together on the couch and watch Foundation's new episode on the phone. Uh, so that's that's how that's how rough it was, guys. We had to watch Foundation on a phone. That's how bad it was. Uh, listen, one other thing I want to mention. So for you guys who follow me on social media, you know that I am an I'm an Android guy. Like I used to use iPhone. I used to use an iPhone years ago. I switched to Android for my phone and I fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with Android. Android to me is the superior platform. I'm an Android guy. Now, that's not that I'm not a Mac fan. I have a MacBook Air M1. I love that thing. I use an iPad Pro daily. I love my iPad. Totally love it. But for my phone, I'm an Android guy. So I... I recently decided to pick up the new iPhone 13 Pro Max, right? Because I'm doing more remote video, like straight out of the theater reviews and some vlogging and stuff. And I prefer, instead of carrying around another camera, I prefer to use my phone for that. And the one thing iPhone has always done brilliantly is video. I mean, I think some Samsung phones do better photography, but as far as video goes, the iPhone just I don't think has an equal when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, video performance and shooting video. So I thought I would give it a try. So I picked it up and I've had it for a few days now. And let me just give you some quick impressions of mine. I know this isn't movie content, but I, I for those of you who follow me on social media, this is very important to me. Okay, Get, cut me some slack. This is very very important to me. The phone I carry is very very important to me, and I know all you guys carry phones too. Let me tell you that some of the things that I don't like so far. Okay. Uh, number one, Android is just far more customizable. And I'm already finding myself being very frustrated with this phone, uh, with the uh, iOS, with uh, Apple, for how little it actually lets you do. And to me, that's uh, a little bit of, uh, that is frustrating. That's frustrating to me. Uh, another thing is this, and I don't, for those of you who don't use, who have used iPhones for a long time, you won't even know this, but I'm going to show you something that really drives me crazy. Okay. So, you got your phone, right? So you got your number pad, right? And of course, under each number are three letters under each number. You guys know how this works, right? Under each number is three letters. It's been like that forever. On an Android phone, on an Android phone, if I say wanted to call Ann, all I have to do, I don't have to go into my contacts list. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is open up the number pad and hit A, which is under the two, and then six for N, and, and boom, it brings up Ann's number. 
That's it. I didn't have to go into a contacts list. I didn't have to do anything. If I wanted to call Christian for whatever reason, right? I just pick up my phone. All I have to do is hit K, which is under the five button. Hit K, R, and then it says, oh, you're trying to call Christian. Dial. Just like that. I, n- I never have to bring up contact lists. I just have to start spelling out the first couple of letters of somebody's name. Hit phone. It's great. And so when I first got this iPhone, I'm like, okay, cool. I'll call Ann. Two se- Why isn't Ann's name coming up? What's going on? Listen, that may not sound like a big deal to you, but when you're as used to doing it that way as I am, that is really frustrating. I don't know why it gives you that ability to do that. So yeah, there's that. Um, Also, I find connecting to certain services on this has been a nightmare for me um, and all that kind of stuff. But let me talk about a couple of the good things that I really like. Number one, I got this phone for the video capabilities and I got to say it delivers on all that. The, the video quality on this and the flexibility it gives you with the video is pretty damn great. And so I'm very, very happy with that. The other thing I really like about this, since I'm in my car a lot, is Apple CarPlay is really great. And I'm really liking using Apple Maps. I've been a Waze user for a long time. Uh, Apple Maps has always sucked, but the new version of Apple Maps, especially when I connect it to CarPlay, is really, really good. And so I like that. So... Yeah, the jury's still kind of out for me on the iPhone 13, to be honest with you. I'm still keeping my Samsung Ultra Note 20, uh, Note 20 Ultra. I'm keeping that phone still close by in case I want to switch back, but it's been a little bit of a mixed bag for me. I just say all that to ask you guys, have you guys used both Android and iPhone? I would love to hear what your um, experiences with it has been if you've used both. Like if all you've ever used in and- is Android, you wouldn't have commentary to make here if all you've ever used is an iphone you wouldn't have commentary but for those who have used both i would be curious to know what you guys think about that stuff so uh yeah there's that okay guys with uh that personal stuff down and out of the way let's get into our topics today shall we here's how today's show goes we've broken up into two parts in the first half of the show we're going to talk about some predetermined topics in the second half of the show we're going to take your live comments and questions if you'd like to get a live comment or question on the show simply go down to the description of this video you'll see a tip link there click on that or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash tv slash tip you'll be getting your comment or question read on a show if we consider your question appropriate to use on our show and of course more importantly you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us here at the john campus show thank you guys so much for your support okay let's get into our main topics and how do we select our main topics here in the show well you guys know you guys come up with our main topics whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover here as a main topic on the john campus show just go anytime 24 7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com contact once you guys get there you're going to see a form fill it out with your topic or question it's totally free hit submit and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the john campia show and by the way, big shout outs already to Maurice Seifring and to uh, Benjamin Nutt, who both sent in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys for supporting us on that level. Okay, let's now get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Box Office Fan, who writes, Well, John, HBO Max is an awful name. Disney Plus has Star Wars, but isn't called Star Wars Plus. It's Disney Plus. HBO Max has HBO, but everything Warner Brothers. Well, it doesn't have everything Warner Brothers, but it does have a lot of Warner Brothers. It should be Warner Max. 
They have had more than HBO. Well, looks like some of the HBO higher-ups, including CEO Jason Kalar, think so too, as it's getting reported by CNBC, they may change the name when Discovery gets Warner Brothers. What do you think of this, John? Do you think this story is true, and would it be a good idea? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, listen, the HBO Max situation, you guys remember when they first announced HBO Max or there was going to be a new HBO service, blah, blah, blah. One of the things that we all brought up was why call it HBO Max? Because at the time when they launched HBO Max, there was already HBO, there was HBO Go, there was HBO Now, and now we had HBO Max. It caused tremendous brand confusion. Like a, a lot of people were writing in. Like I remember at this time when they first made the announcement, we were getting a lot of questions coming and say, okay, John, wait a second. Uh, I like the idea. This sounds great. But what's the difference? Like if I already have HBO Go, do I have HBO Now? Or do I have HBO Max? And if I have HBO Now... Do I already get or do I have to sign up for HBO Max as well? If I have regular HBO, does like there was a lot of brand confusion. And there's nothing wrong with the sound of the name HBO Max. Like it's way better than the sound of Peacock, but it created a lot of brand confusion. And a lot of us talked about that for a while. Well, apparently we weren't the only ones that were a little bit confused by that. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at C uh, from Variety, I should say, who writes. When Discovery Chief Executive Officer David Zaslav takes control of Warner Media in 2022, and by the way, just a reminder, Discovery is taking over Warner Brothers. They're going to be they're going to own Warner Brothers here sometime in early 2022, and the CEO of Disney or of Discovery will now be the new boss of Warner Brothers. Anyway, when Discovery Chief Executive Officer David Zaslav takes control of Warner Media in 2022, assuming regulatory approval, he may hear a surprising yet consistent message from current executives of the company. Give our streaming service a new name. It's possible Zaslav could decide to stick with the name, but if Zaslav chooses to add Discovery's reality programming directly to the service rather than simply bundling Discovery Plus with HBO Max, it will give him a natural opportunity to rebrand the service for a global audience. Several current WarnerMedia executives, including outgoing CEO Jason Kalar, have wanted to change the name, according to people familiar with the matter. These people asked not to be identified because of the discussions that have been private. Kalar declined to comment for this story. All right, so that, again, comes to us from the folks over at Variety. And by the way, shout out to Rhett Proctor in the live chat for sending like a $20 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rhett. Appreciate that. As did uh, Taylor Haywood. Thank you, guys. Um, so what happened was the people who decided to name the HBO service HBO Max was the head of AT&T because as of right now uh AT&T is still currently the owner of Warner Brothers like AT&T still currently owns it but it is being sold off to Discovery but it was the head of AT&T and the guy who was the CEO of Warner Media at the time I believe his name was Greensblatt I might be mispronouncing his name but I believe his name the guy who Jason Clark took over from I believe was Greenblatt was that his name? Anyway, the AT&T head and Greenblatt, I might be mispronouncing his name, were the ones who decided to um, name it HBO Max. Now, Greenblatt is no longer CEO because, according to the Whisper Mills, 
they fired him because he greenlit the Zack Snyder Justice League cut, which lost them tens of millions of dollars. But that is what it is. So now Jason Clark is the head guy. And a lot of people at the company never liked the name HBO Max. Uh, to me, do you change it at this point? Look, here's what I think about this. Yes, naming it HBO Max was a terrible title. Terrible, terrible name for the service. Never liked the name for the service, especially when it was first announced. But today, the reality is people know the service as HBO Max. That's what it's now known as. Nobody thinks of HBO Go anymore. Nobody thinks of HBO Now anymore. There's no longer that brand confusion. People identify no HBO Max. So I think that's going to be very difficult. I mean, Zaslav can do whatever he wants once he takes over, but I think it's going to be difficult to change the name now because now that's the name everybody identifies with it, right? That's it. That's the name. Uh, and it, it, you'd have to have a really good reason for changing. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I have no problem with them changing the name. If they change the name to something like uh, Warner Plus or, uh, you know, Warner Bro Forever or, you know, Tiki Taki Gang Bang, whatever they want to call it, I'm fine with it. Whatever they want to change the name to, if they do change the name, I'm fine with it. But I actually don't think, I wouldn't put money on it, but I actually don't think they're going to name, they're going to change the name. I actually don't think they will. I'm okay with it if they do, but right now I don't think they will. Question is for you guys. What do you think is going to happen here with the name of HBO Max? Do you think that Discovery will change its name? Do you think they'll keep it the way it is? Do you have some name suggestions? I'm sure you have some fun ones. If you do, jump down into the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets sent to us by Jason Tyson, who writes, The long wait has ended, and Dune is finally here. I gotta say, while all film is subjective, and I could be a prisoner of the moment, Dune, to me, is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Admittedly, Denis Villeneuve's movies in the past haven't worked for me, so I was skeptical going in. I thought it was fantastic. My IMAX was packed, and I'm going tomorrow night. So I got to ask, now that you've seen the movie, what did you think of it? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, so many of you probably know that I already put up my quick instant out of the theater review of Dune when it came out. And I'll expand on that a little bit more. So my, my first impression was this. The movie is done to absolute perfection. I don't, I cannot imagine an on-screen iteration of Dune being done any better than, like, I don't think it can be done better. I, I, I honestly feel that right now. Like, I'm sure it can be, but right now, after watching Dune, I've seen it twice now, my thought is there is no possible way you can do a screen adaptation of the story of Dune better than what Denis Villeneuve just did. I'm not saying the movie is perfect, but I'm saying it was a perfect adaptation. I like, I like they caught, Denis was able to capture all the essence of the Dune story to me. And here's an interesting thing too. When I, I took Anne to go see it with me the first time I saw it. And I mentioned this in my, uh, I think I mentioned this in my out of the theater review. 
But Anne now feels, and Anne knew nothing of Dune. Nothing. She never read the books. She never saw the original movie. She never saw the sci-fi, you know, miniseries on TV. She knows nothing about Dune. She thinks it might be her favorite sci-fi film of all time now. She likes it even more than Star Wars, which, you know, she and I may have to go to couples therapy about that. But, you know, I'll let her have her own opinion. Um, She thinks she even likes it more than Star Wars. But that was her feeling about it. And generally speaking, it's being received incredibly well. Like as of right now, it's got a, a very strong 83, like not, you know, the best thing ever, but it's got a very strong 83% um, on Rotten Tomatoes. But more importantly than that, and this is the part that surprised me, it's got a 91% audience rating. Now, remember, on Rotten Tomatoes, on Rotten Tomatoes, audience ratings are verified, which means it's actually people who bought tickets and saw the movie. And out of those people, it's got a 91%. Now, I'll tell you why that surprises me a little bit. It surprises me a bit because most general audiences, and this isn't a knock on us general audience members, but most general audiences, when they go in to see spectacle movies like this, they want the boom, explosions, spaceships, big boobs and tight sci-fi dresses. You know, that's that's kind of what we're going for. And Dune is not really that. I mean, there's a lot of action in it, but Dune is a thinking man sci-fi. That's how I kind of, Dune is a thinking man sci-fi. It's higher concept. It's true, you know, science fiction. And I honestly wasn't completely sure. It's kind of the same way I felt about Eternals, that I wasn't really sure how people would embrace it. But I mean, I definitely appreciate I loved it the way I was hanging on the entire inter-house drama between the great houses and the political intrigue between and the backstabbing of the emperor and all all that kind of stuff as well as the whole the mythology of the spice and the Benny Jesuit and what's Paul's role in all this and blah I just thought I was enamored with it like I was I was hanging on every freaking word now, I'm not going to say Dune is my favorite film of the year. It, it's not. That would still probably belong to either A Quiet Place 2 or Shang-Chi. Speaking of, I just we just want boom, karate in action. But seriously, I love those movies. Quiet Place 2 and, and Shang-Chi. Anyway, but I was, I was sitting in that movie theater. That movie's over two and a half hours long, and bang, the, the, the time just flew by. Let me talk about some of the performances, too. Timothy Chalamet portrays Paul Atreides perfectly, like perfectly. Let me qualify that. He portrays Paul Atreides the way I always pictured Paul Atreides in my mind, the way I read Dune. Now, maybe if you read Dune a little bit, and maybe if you read Dune, maybe Paul Atreides plays out differently in your head. And that's the great thing about books. But for me, he just crushed the way I always imagined Paul Atreides being. So that was great. Very impressed with Jason Momoa. Listen, I've always liked Jason Momoa for a long time. Um, going all the way back to that movie he did with Stallone. I think it was called Bullet to the Head. If it, Correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, guys, but I think it was called Bullet to the Head. Um, so ever since I saw him in that movie... I really, really appreciated him as a performer and as, as, and as an actor. And I even thought for a long time, I could totally see Jason Momoa as the new Batman. And he ended up being Aquaman. But I, I 
but I have never, his acting has gotten better and better and better. And I've always liked him, but his performance in this was great. It was really great. Josh Brolin is always great. Um, up and down the line, the performances were fantastic. I, I love the performances. The visual effects were mind-blowing. Like, absolutely, stunningly mind-blowing. It felt so... Like, I'm not talking about in terms of spectacle, but it all felt real. Like, everything from the landscapes to the ships flying over them to... Like, I, I feel like somebody just picked up their, their their phone and started shooting it. It just felt legit real to me. So that was absolutely extraordinary. Now, one of the things that a lot of people are talking about is the ending of the movie. It very, very much has a Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring ending. Because you remember that, right? Like, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Like, it's a magnificent movie. And then, you know... Samwise and and uh, Frodo are standing there. It's like, ah, oh, well, there it is. There's Mount Doom. Well, that's where we're going. Sure is. All right. And then the credits start to roll. And a lot of people who didn't know the books or maybe weren't aware that this was going to be like really a three-part story, it caught people very abruptly. It did. And I think for a lot of people going in, actually, I was talking to my buddy Matt. Um, my buddy Matt was there at the screening that Ann and I were at as well. And Matt didn't know that this was part one, right? Until the opening credits came up, it said Dune part one. He's like, oh. And so when the movie ended with them just kind of walking away, just like they kind of did in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Matt was kind of like, wait, what? And and I think probably a lot of people felt that way. Quite frankly, that was probably the best place to end this part. There's, I, I, Look, Dune is one story there's no ideal place to end the first movie. There's no ideal place to do it. And so I thought they picked the best place possible to do that. So it was the it was the way to, does it feel a little abrupt? It does feel a little abrupt, to be honest with you. But it was the right place to end it. And now we've got to wait three years to get Dune 2. I mean, look, don't worry. Once uh, Zaslav at uh, Discovery gets his hands on Warner Brothers. It doesn't matter what Warner Brothers does right now. Zaslav will green light the sequel. Whether they green light the sequel before they take it over or not, don't worry about it. There is going to be a sequel coming. But it, it's just unfortunate that we got to get a, wait a while to get it. Anyway, we are going to see Dune 2. I just don't know how many years it's going to be before we do that. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What did you think about Dune? Did you have a chance to see it? Again, it's not going to be a movie that's for everybody, not at all. It's a different kind of sci-fi than, you know, other types of movies you see. So it won't work for everybody. Maybe it did for you, maybe it didn't. Whatever you guys are feeling, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Bob Nunn, who writes, Hi, John and Rob. Rob's not here today, obviously. Love the show. Thank you so much. Last night, a terrible accident. This obviously was sent in the day after it happened. Last night, a terrible accident occurred on the set of Rust. Allegedly, Alec Baldwin discharged a prop gun on the set of Rust, which resulted in the death of director of photography Helena Hutchins and an injury to the director. Right now, details are scarce on how this happened. Moving forward, do you think this will change the way movies are made in regards to production 
Thanks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And this was going to be our main topic on Friday's show. Now, I was just explaining to you guys that I was sitting in a, the, my first viewing of Dune on Thursday night. And when the movie ended and the credits were rolling, I turned my phone back on and there was like a hundred messages. And I'm like, what, what the hell's going on? And the first message I opened was for, from Aaron Cummings. And her text message to me was, oh God, I guess we know what your show's going to be about tomorrow. And I turned to Anna, I'm like, I, something happened. Something happened, honey. I, I like, and all, that's when I found out about the shooting on the set of Rust. Now, for those of you who maybe have been living under a rock for the last couple of days, uh, there was a little indie film with uh, uh, Alec Baldwin, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural, and the upcoming The Boys season three is in it as well. A movie called Rust, an old western. And while rehearsing for a scene alec baldwin had what was supposed to be a cold gun we'll talk about that in a second and he was practicing a scene the gun went off it killed the director of photography um she died it sent the director i guess the bullet went through her hit the director the director was taken to the hospital i I think i hear the director is okay and the questions have to arise how does something like this happen how does this happen? Now, the first thing I should mention is this. I'm actually surprised more deaths don't happen every year on movie sets than they do. Because if you've ever been on a movie set, it's a dangerous place. There's a lot of heavy, heavy equipment. There's a lot of high-powered electricity. There's a lot of running cables and things like that. There is danger everywhere, honestly, on a movie set. There really is. And I'm surprised that we don't hear about deaths on set uh, more often. So so there's that. As a matter of fact, in 2019, I believe the number I read was there was over 5,300 deaths on the job. Not movies specifically, but people on their jobs, people at work in the U.S. died on the job five, over 5,300 in 2019. I mean, workplace safety has to be taken seriously. Anyway, so ever since this thing happened, there have been a lot of questions. How does this happen? Why did it happen? Who's responsible for this happening? Now, before we get into some of those specifics, let me say this. I have, I remember having a, a big con, I think me and Dennis Zen, maybe about six years ago, were having, I can't remember what brought up the topic about you know, blanks and guns on set. But I remember about five or six years ago, me and Dennis were having this conversation. And I remember saying to him, we live in a world today, even five or six years ago, we live in a world today where a 14-year-old child with some basic free software can add the sound of a gun going off and a little muzzle flash. Like, literally, I can go out today, I'll find you 10, 14-year-olds who can do that in After Effects for you, or in DaVinci Resolve, or in, in anything else. A simple sound effect of a gun going off, some smoke particle effect, and a gun muzzle flash going off. It can be added just like that in like 10 or 15 minutes. I do not understand... 
And I remember this was a conversation I had like five or six years ago. I don't understand why movie sets today, after what happened with Brandon Lee, even try to use, you know, uh, blank guns and have actual gunpowder being discharged. Because in blanks, yes, even gunpowder is used, so it's dangerous. I have no idea why in today's age of technology, why any kind of, why you need a gun to make the actual bang effect, why you need a gun to actually make the muzzle flash. It's dangerous. People have died from this. Not a lot, but there have been injuries and people getting burned. And When a 14-year-old child could add the sound effect and a muzzle flash, I've never understood why quote-unquote live guns need to be on sets of movies. It's dangerous. It's, and it's, Here's the thing, it's unnecessarily dangerous because you can achieve the effect without it. So it's dangerous, but some things you need the danger, but this was unnecessarily dangerous. Unnecessarily dangerous. So what happened? Well, I got an email from somebody who has close connections to what was going on. They obviously asked to remain nameless, and they will be. But I'm going to read you parts of the email that they sent me. And then we're going to look at some of the the news that has come out since then, okay? So this came to me, and it's the following. This is from, remember, this is from an email from somebody uh, who is kind of connected to all this. Anyway, Rust is a tier one production, meaning it is extremely low budget. From what I understand, all the local prop masters and assistants uh, available didn't want to come anywhere near this thing when it was crewing up. Just a very low pay production, penny pinching at every corner. This is one of the productions that would not have even shut down if we went on strike as it was not under the ASA contract. The prop crew uh, that was eventually hired are very inexperienced, having mostly worked on short films. Because the show is so low budget, one of the corners the producers cut was not hiring a licensed armorer. This is an absolute must anytime you are dealing with real guns and blank loads. Instead, they granted one of the prop assistants armorer duties. A gun was then brought to set by somebody she knew that apparently still contained live rounds. The proper protocol when you have any kind of weapon in the prop department is that you will always treat it like it is a really like it is really loaded, even though it's not. When you bring a weapon to set, the first thing you do is check it in with the first assistant director. And we're going to talk about the first assistant director here in a second. You show him that the gun is either empty or you're using blank rounds. He will inspect those as well. You then repeat the same steps to the actors involved and the camera crew as a courtesy as the gun is most often pointed at them as well. I believe that what happened next was due to a lack of experience. I don't think the prop department on this show knew any of this or how to even check the gun because they most likely had never done this before. It is also the first assistant director's responsibility to make sure this gun was cleared. A professional needed to be on set handling this weapon. I'm told the gun contained a 45 uh, round fired by Alec that went through the cinematographer's stomach. We know now from news reports that went through her chest, apparently, and then hit the director in the shoulder as he was seated. So that came in, uh, again, from somebody connected to the situation. Now, this was sent to me before the weekend, that email. Now, there are a few things that have come out since that that we should look at. The first thing 
that we should know here as it pertains to Alec Baldwin. Apparently, according to the New York Times, Alec Baldwin was told the gun was safe. Now, apparently the assistant director brought the gun onto set and yelled, cold gun. Now, that means that it's it's a dead gun. There's no ammunition in it. There's no, there's no, like, this is a safe weapon. So apparently, according to the New York Times, the assistant director brought in the gun to set and proclaimed cold gun. That tells the actor the, the gun is safe. That's telling the actor that the gun is safe. So Alec Baldwin, and again, we may find out more information later. We may find out more information later that may not look so good on Alec Baldwin. But right now, to me, as an outsider looking in, it seems like Alec Baldwin wasn't at fault here at all. He was an actor on a set. The AD came in with the prop gun, proclaimed cold gun, and Alec Baldwin or any actor in that situation to me at any rate should now feel and believe and have every right to assume that this is a totally safe prop, that this is a completely safe prop. Um, a report in the Los Angeles times also mimicked the same thing that the director came in, announced cold gun. There was no reason at all that I, I mean, again, for me as an outsider, we may get more legitimate information later, but there was no reason at all that Alec Baldwin should have felt or believed at all that there was any danger nor should the the director at the time although ultimately the director is responsible for everything that happens on their set but at that point the director shouldn't have any reason to believe there was anything unsafe and the dp who ultimately died no reason she should have believed anything was unsafe you know i I read some stupid people online saying well she shouldn't have been standing in the line there was no reason she should have thought the gun was at all any danger at all Something fell fell through the cracks. Now, it should also kind of be pointed out that there is another report going around. I believe this one was also in the Los Angeles Times. That earlier on the set of Rust, in previous weeks, there were two other incidents of a gun prop accidentally going off. Now, they had blanks. They didn't have a live round in it. But this happened two other times. The LA Times reports that there were two other misfire incidents on the set of the movie where Baldwin's stunt double accidentally fired off two rounds. That's a red flag right there. Like, even though it's blanks, when a gun accidentally goes off in a stunt double's hand and two rounds accidentally, that's a problem. Okay, that's a red flag. Again, we're talking about a scenario that an actor died on set once. As a result of that, that should have been a flag as well. Now, there is also another report in Fox News that the assistant director had previously had complaints filed against him due to lack of due to safety concerns. Now, again, this is all preliminary stuff coming out there. But and I am not sitting here telling people that this is all the assistant director's fault. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just telling you what this initial information coming out is. That this particular assistant director had previously had complaints filed against them for a number of things. But one of the main things that stands out right now was ignoring safety protocols and creating unsafe work environments. Now, that's coming in 
from various news sources as well. So number one, the, the proper protocol looked like it was being followed in that the assistant director brought in the gun, proclaimed cold gun, and then handed it to the actor. Everybody on set at that point had no reason to believe this was a real live gun. They, was, they were told, cold gun. There were apparently a previous incident of two misfires happening on the same set uh, of the same movie previously. And according to several reports, the assistant director had been complained about for ignoring safety protocols. So who is at fault here? I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to be indirectly at fault. I mean, we could say that this person has some responsibility and that person has responsibility. But at the end of the day, somebody put a live round into a gun that was going to be used on a movie. That gun got brought onto set. And then once on set, that gun with a live round in it got brought in front of the cameras and handed to the actor and proclaimed it to be a, a safe gun. Where, I mean, we can ask, how did the AD not know? The AD is supposed to inspect the gun before handing it off to an actor. Um, but the big question to me is, how the holy living fuck did a live bullet end up being put into a gun on a movie set? And I'm sure there's probably a lot to come down from that. I'm sure there's a lot to be to come down from that. But how was a 45 caliber bullet put into this gun and brought onto set? And then how did a loaded gun get proclaimed to be a cold gun? I mean, there, there are just so many things here. So what I want to do is I don't want to do what a lot of other people are doing right now. Rush to conclusions. I know when something tragic happens like this, we, the angry mob, we want to hold somebody responsible right now. And I get it. A young woman lost her life tragically but what i am trying to remind myself of and what i think all of us need to remind ourselves is listen let the investigation happen before we jump to too many conclusions before we jump to assign absolute blame before we start calling anybody murderer or anything like that let's let the information come out we have a little bit of information right now but it's preliminary this is a tragedy how something like this happens today, I have no freaking idea. I don't even think blanks need to be used in a movie set anymore. Just get a freaking 14-year-old nephew somewhere with After Effects or DaVinci Resolve to put in the muzzle flash. You don't need it. It doesn't have to be there. It's unnecessary. And then how did a live freaking gun get on a set? I don't know. Here's the unfortunate thing. And everything about this is unfortunate. One of the really unfortunate things here right now is the fact that one of the things being overlooked is that a young woman lost her life. Like everybody right now, and I, and I get it, it's understandable. Everybody is so angry that this incident happened that I feel like Helena is kind of being overlooked. A, a young woman pursuing her passion in filmmaking, a member of the of the union, on set, doing her job, doing the job she loved, and she gets shot. She has a husband. I believe I read she had kids. And um, it's it's inconceivable. And like I said, I, I do, I'm in wonder and awe that 
more fatalities don't happen on the sets of movies because they can be dangerous places, movie sets. But I was just, uh, I was heartbroken. And there's this picture of Alec Baldwin. And, you know, I'm not the world's biggest Alec Baldwin fan. You all know that. But I remember I was reading, they were saying uh, the the police report was that um, Alec Baldwin was a mess uh, when it happened. That in when they were interviewing Alec Baldwin and talking with him, they said he, he was just inconsolable. He couldn't stop sobbing. Even in this picture that's going around everywhere, you can see how puffy his eyes are. And I was talking to Anne about it, and she said, imagine that was you. And you thought you had a toy in your hand, and you ended up murdering somebody. I, I mean, I, I can't speak for the rest of you, that would F me up for life. I don't know how I ever recover from that. I, I honestly have no idea. Guys, I was once driving a van late at night in northern Ontario uh, in the middle of, of, of a you know wooded area and stuff like that. And a deer, not my fault, a deer jumped out in the road and we hit the deer. Now, I think the deer got, got up and scampered off because I couldn't find it afterwards. I like wept for 20 minutes because I thought I killed a deer, right? I, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm just saying, I, I don't know how I, because in the sensationalism of all of this, I think we can lose, it would be easy for us to lose sight of the actual human element in this about her family, the loss, her husband, her children. But also what if you're somebody like, what if you're in Alec Baldwin situation? where you just you just thought you were doing your job and you're acting and on set and you end up shooting and killing somebody. I would F me up for life. I, I honestly don't know how I ever recover from that. And again, maybe maybe after investigation happens, we'll find out this was all Alec Baldwin's fault. Alec Baldwin put a 45 in the gun because he thought it would make it more realistic. And that, I mean, I was, I'm making all that up. I'm just saying we don't have enough information, but I'm just saying... If I was in that situation, my God, guys, I, I, I'd be done. I would go sit in a dark room and rock back and forth. And I don't know that I'd ever forgive myself. And I don't know that I'd ever be able to function again. I, it's, it's crazy. It's so I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm seeing. Some people in the thing saying uh, Alec Baldwin is responsible. How I don't look, I don't know that you've ever been on a movie set. Like when there are supposed to be safety procedures involved and when an assistant director hands an actor a weapon and proclaims on set cold gun, cold gun. You're supposed to be able to completely rely that this is a completely safe prop in your hand. And. I, I honestly don't get now again, we may find out more information later that will change all this, but I honestly do not understand why um, there are people who are trying to rush to blame Alec Baldwin for this. He was a dude on set. He's not a weapons expert. He doesn't know how to inspect a gun. Like, for fuck's sakes, 99% of you watching this show right now don't know how to inspect a gun. You wouldn't know how to do it if your life depended on it. I would, but that's only because 
my dad is an avid hunter and a part of the association in Canada there. And I grew up with lots of guns in my house. So I would, but not everybody grew up like me. 99% of you wouldn't have the first fucking clue how to inspect a gun. And I'm here, well, uh, Alec should have inspected the gun. He wouldn't have known how to inspect a gun. Why would he know how to inspect a gun? I mean, I'd be surprised if he knew the difference between the trigger and the muzzle. I mean, anyway, anyway. And again, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I want to be careful not to sound like I'm rushing to Alec Baldwin's defense because for all I know, more information may come out and maybe he's responsible. Maybe the director is responsible. Maybe some, you know, uh, production assistant offset was playing around and thought it'd be funny to put a live round and maybe they're responsible. Maybe the assistant director is responsible. I mean, we just don't know. But I think it's a sign of the decay in the human condition when everybody just wants to rush and point fingers before we actually have all the information. So I think we need to do a couple of things. Number one, let's remember the girl who lost her life and her family and her kids and the people who knew and loved her. That's the main thing here. Secondly, I think what we as film fans need to do is take a deep breath and go, this is a tragedy. And as a film fan community, let's mourn it. But let's not rush to point fingers when we don't have information yet. We simply don't have the information yet. Let's take a breath, take a step back. I know everybody thinks they're an expert on everything and everybody knows everything. I know that. We all do it sometimes. But let's all just take a breath, let the investigation play out, Let's get the information, see what happened, and then we'll worry about that part later. But I hope that what I have been wanting to see on movie sets for five to six years is will finally come to happen. There is no need, no need for working guns or blanks to be on movie sets. There's no need. It can easily be replicated digitally in a simple, cheap, you know, efficient and effective way. There's no need for this to happen. It's un listen, you need to have sometimes thousand pound lights hanging from the ceiling. You need to have power cables running. I mean, those, those are things you need to have. They're dangerous, but they need to have. So you have safety procedures. Operating guns are unnecessary on a movie set. They don't need to be there. And all you're asking for is something like this to happen. So I hope that this, changes things moving forward anyway guys uh that's my non-expert point of view on this the information is still coming in i just feel unless we find out somebody intentionally was trying to murder somebody and this is all some kind of elaborate csi kind of plot unless somebody intentionally meant somebody to die which there's no indication of that i feel badly for everybody involved this is going to ruin even if somebody who had nothing to do with it, even if we find out Alec Baldwin is completely innocent in all this, it's it's going to ruin him. It's going to, the director, and let's assume the director wasn't responsible. The director is going to feel terrible about this for the rest of his life. Anybody who was in the room is going to feel terrible for the rest of their lives. And obviously it destroyed one person's family. Anyway, guys, what are your guys' thoughts on this right now? Whatever you guys are feeling or thinking, and again, try to be rational, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us 
by Caden. And Caden writes, I couldn't help but notice that Dune opened lower than Halloween Kills did. Uh, Both films were released the same day on both streaming and theaters. Halloween Kills opened on Peacock Premium and Dune opened on HBO Max. Both for no extra cost. Is the gap in opening in openings in part because the subscriber base of each? Does HBO Max have a great amount more subscribers than Peacock Premium, making more people see Halloween kills in theaters? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Caden. And yes, yeah, so Dune opened up in theaters. We were, I just kind of gave my thoughts and my review on it. And it did right around where I was expecting it to do. It made about $40 million. Now, as of right now, worldwide, Dune has already pulled in $220 million worldwide. It's a good start. But it's not a coincidence that the reason it's done so strongly overseas, it's already made over $180 million in other markets. It's not a coincidence that In those markets, there wasn't an option to watch it on HBO Max instead. And in North America, the biggest movie, um, the biggest movie market in the world, it only managed to make 40 million where HBO Max did exist. It's not a coincidence. Like, it's not some, gosh, this is a big mystery. Why is it doing so incredibly well in other markets and only so well here? Well, it's not a big thing. Now, you do raise an interesting question, which was... The concept and the idea of, well, how much could the HBO Max thing have impacted this when the same thing happened to Halloween Kills and Halloween Kills actually ended up making more money, right? Now, I'm just getting this set up because I wasn't planning on doing this, but we'll do it right now. anyway. So, so let's jump in here for a second. In the Cambia Classroom. All right, so how did it make 180, you know, makes... Uh, 180 million in other markets, but only 40 million dollars should never be called only, but we'll call it only here. But only made 40 million in North America. Well, let's look at that. HBO Max has the last number I checked has 67 million subscribers. Now, that's the combined total of HBO subscriber base from the last numbers that I saw. Like, that, that information might be a month or two older. Maybe the number is a little bit bigger now. Whatever. But HBO Max is 67 million subscribers. Which means that when Dune opened up, 67 million potential moviegoers had the option instead to stay home and watch it at home right? 67 million had the option to just stay home and watch it at home. That's significant. Now, they ask a very, very interesting question. Uh, Peacock, which I still feel dirty even saying the name or writing it out. Peacock did the same thing with Halloween Kills and it made more than Dune. Uh, Than Dune. Well, here's the thing. Peacock, the last I checked, I believe it said it had something like uh, 50 million subscribers, okay? That's the last I saw. That number may be off a little bit, but I, I remember it being somewhere around 50 million subscribers, okay? 
So that's 50 million is not a terribly different number than 67 million, right? 50 million subscribers is not that much different. I mean, it's it's 17 million is still a lot, but it's not that much different. Well, here's the thing though, okay? Halloween Kills was not, of, maybe if I hit the V right, available to all Peacock subscribers. It was only available to paid subscribers. Okay, so look, there are 50 million, around 50 million HBO Max or uh, Peacock subscribers. But here's the thing. The majority of those subscribers are subscribed to their free tier. You Anybody can download and install Peacock. It's free. You don't get all the content and you have to get ads, but there is a free version of Peacock. To watch Halloween Kills on Peacock, you could not be a free subscriber. You had to be a subscriber to their top tier. All right. And here's the thing. The last report I saw was there are only 4 million uh, paid subscribers to uh, Peacock. 4 million. So that means Dune... 67 million had the option to stay and watch it at home. Or, uh, yes, whereas Halloween Kills only had 4 million people who had the option to stay and watch it at home. To Tay and what? I don't know what I'm typing. To Tay Tay and what? What's going on here? Whatever. I'm not going to correct it. I'm going to leave it as it is. So to answer the one question, well, wait a second. Dune released on HBO Max and Halloween Kills released on Peacock. So why did Pete? Well, yes, but Dune had to compete against HBO reaching 67 million people that had the option to stay in and watch at home. Whereas Peacock, oh, there were only 4 million people who had the option to stay and watch at home because even though they have something like 50 million subscribers, they only really have about 4 million paid subscribers. So that's a significant thing. That is a significant thing and a significant difference uh, when you're looking at the uh, the two different scenarios there. So that did make that 40, 63 million people having the option to stay and watch it at home makes a significant difference. Now, the other thing about it, though, too, is that you got to keep in mind that a lot of us always felt like Dune was going to have some challenges at the box office because, like we were saying, like we said this long before Dune ever opened, Dune is higher concept sci-fi. It's thinking man sci-fi. It's not the big spectacle, boom, explosions and whatever. It's not one of those. It doesn't appeal as much to the general movie-going audience. And so we always thought it was going to have a little bit of a challenge at the box office on that rate. You compound that, with the fact that 67 million people had the option to just sit home and watch it there. Unlike Halloween Kills, which really probably only had about 4 million people had the option to sit home and watch it there. I got to tell you, I'm not really surprised by the $40 million. As a matter I think that they got to consider that pretty okay. 
I think they have to look at that 40 million opening and say it's pretty okay and then sit back and say, well, thank God we've got it internationally as well because it's already made like $220 million worldwide. It'll probably end up around the $400 million mark is my guess. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But that's kind of my, my shake on that. So, yes, I think it's enough to get it a sequel. Uh, then again, I've always thought Discovery was going to green light a, a uh, Dune sequel once they take over Warner Brothers anyway. So I think things look pretty good. Anyway, guys, what do you think? About the opening weekend's numbers for Dune. Is it right around where you expected it? Did it exceed what you expected? Did it not make as much as you expected? How big of an impact do you think the HBO Max thing had on Dune as opposed to how much the Peacock thing had an impact on Halloween Kills? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Uh, by the way, guys, I also want to shout out that uh, Jeremy Dermott uh, or Demert Send in like a $50 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Jeremy, thank you so much, man, for supporting our channel on that level, dude. That is really generous of you. Thank you for supporting us. As does Rhett Proctor, who also sends in like a $20 Super Chat badge with a Woot game controller dancing around. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on that level. We really appreciate that, guys. Okay. With that down, let's move into main topic number five. And our fifth main topic today gets submitted to us by Joey McKay, who writes, <clears throat> The Hollywood Reporter announced Friday that Hayden Christensen will once again, good Canadian kid, by the way, will once again be reprising his role as Anakin Skywalker in the upcoming live-action Ahsoka series. As a fan of the brother-slash-sister dynamic of Anakin and Ahsoka in Clone Wars, I'm intrigued by it being brought to live-action, especially with <sighs> Rosario Dawson uh, playing against him. What do you think of this edition? And considering the series is set post-Return of the Jedi, how do you think the character of Anakin will be used? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, I know a lot of people, when they announced that they were going to be doing an Ahsoka series, a lot of people started speculating whether or not we could see Hayden Christensen back in some way, shape, or form. Now, when people were asking me that early once they announced the show, I said, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. However, once they announced that Hayden Christensen, a good, again, good Canadian kid, that Hayden Christensen was going to be in the Obi-Wan series, because don't forget, he's also going to be in the Obi-Wan series. And we're going to see that first, right? Once they announced that he was going to be in that, then all of a sudden when people were writing and saying, well, now do you think he'll be in Ahsoka? I'm like, ah. I mean, in the time frame of Obi-Wan, Vader is still alive, in the time frame of Obi, like when the Obi-Wan series takes place, Darth Vader is still alive in that universe. In Ahsoka, he won't be, but now that he's coming back, now that Hayden's coming back to be an Obi-Wan, there's really nothing stopping them from them also putting him in to the Ahsoka series. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write the following. Hayden Christensen is set to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader in Disney Plus's latest Star Wars spinoff. He will feature in Ahsoka, which is set to start production sometime in 2022, alongside ah, Rosario Dawson, uh, who plays the, the character, the Jedi Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, who appeared in The Mandalorian. Christensen will likely feature in flashbacks or as a Jedi presence, as tends to be the case in this universe, as the series is set five years after Return of the Jedi. And again, that comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. All right, so here's the question then. 
What kind of role will he play? We already mentioned this, but it bears repeating. The significant difference between Hayden Christensen, good Canadian kid, appearing in Obi-Wan as opposed to Ahsoka is that in Obi-Wan, again, the character of Vader is still alive. There's some significant stuff there that you can do with him in that series. Whereas in Ahsoka, he's dead. I'm going to guess this, and it's just a guess. I have no insider information on this. This is me as a fan pulling this out of my ass just like everybody else is, okay? My guess right now is that it will be one cameo appearance, either as a flashback or as a force ghost, perhaps. I don't think he's going to be a major presence in the show, but I think since they got him, you know what? Let's have him make an appearance, whether again, as a flashback CGI a bit or whatever, de-aged, what have you, or, you know, as a force ghost, but that can be a little bit problematic. I mean, the dude was Anakin Skywalker at the end of the day, committed mass genocide across the galaxy. So I don't know. There's a little bit problematic about that. It's a little problematic. Speaking of which, have any of you guys ever seen the uh, robot chicken short? You can look it up on YouTube where they're at the Battle of Endor, right? The, the celebration on Endor after the events of Return of the Jedi. And this again is on robot chicken. And like uh, Luke is there talking to the ghosts of Yoda and Obi-Wan and then Anakin's force ghost shows up and Luke is like, what the hell is he doing here? He's like, what? What? I redeemed myself. Blah, blah. Dude, you murdered me millions of people you were an absentee father you create you committed genocide across the galaxy ah yeah yeah but i helped you against the emperor didn't i it was actually it was actually pretty fun you should go look it up it's actually really funny so it does create some problems for a force ghost maybe but there's ways you can write around that there's a there are ways you can write around that now i'll say this i am not a big fan many of you know this i'm not a big fan of clone wars I, I frankly, I mean, it. there were better seasons and worse seasons. There absolutely were. But overall, I'm not a fan of Clone Wars. I watched the whole series, even the final season they put up on Disney Plus. Not a fan. Uh, I, I much prefer um, like Dave Filoni's other series, Rebels. Like I, I preferred that series a lot more. I thought that was great. That being said, I've also never been a fan of the Ahsoka character. Like, at all. I've always found it, ever since the original Clone Wars movie, I've always found that character to be a whiny, insufferable, like, little eyesore of a thing on screen. I've never liked the Ahsoka character, even in the as they developed her further on. I started to get a bit of an appreciation for Ahsoka in Rebels. Um, I started to, I like the way they use the character in, in Rebels. I started to appreciate the character a little bit more there. But I will say this. When Ahsoka showed up in Mandalorian... And the way they used that character and portrayed that character in Mandalorian, again, being performed by ah, Rosario Dawson, um, I it won me over. It, it totally won me over. It was like, okay, this iteration of this character, the way they're portraying her, the way Dawson is, is acting in the role the kind of setup they're given to her right now, especially when you watch the end of rebels and you understand the mission that her, uh, that she, that her and, and someone else were going on this mission. I don't want to ruin it. Well, look, they had to go on a search for Ezra. Okay. They had to go find grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra. Okay. But anyway, I, I felt it, man. It worked for me. 
Like I, who traditionally did not like the character, suddenly now I was on board. And so I like the idea of this show. And when you do understand the connection between Anakin and Ahsoka, if you've got Hayden Christensen back, I believe it is more than appropriate to have at least even a cameo appearance, whether it's a flashback or a force ghost situation, whatever. So I think this is a good move. I do. And more importantly, it's a good marketing move. It's a good marketing move because while I may not have been a big fan of Clone Wars, there are a lot of fans of Clone Wars. And those fans of Clone Wars are going to lose their shit with the idea that in a live action scenario, they're going to get to see Anakin and Ahsoka on screen in a live action environment together. Even if it's a flashback, even if it's a force ghost thing, whatever, I think they're going to be a lot of Clone Wars fans. that get very excited about this. And for the cost of a quick cameo, that's a huge marketing push. And who knows? Maybe it'll be more than just one quick cameo. Maybe it'll be in three episodes. I mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea at this point, but I think it's a pretty good move, to be honest with you. I think it's a pretty good move. Anyway, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this move to have Hayden Christensen, who's going to be in Obi-Wan, also appear in Ahsoka? I think it's a really smart move. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And we're, listen, I'll let you guys know, we're a little bit behind. Like, I did a big hour and a half long companion video yesterday, but considering the fact that we had to scrap Friday's show, we fell behind by quite a bit. So I'm going to get through as many of these questions here now as we can, and then I'm going to do another companion video later today to get us all caught up. But anyway... Let's not waste any more time and jump on over and see what you guys have to say. We're going to start things off here with the super Korean who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here today. Uh, so I love Brendan Fraser. I love Brendan Fraser too, man. I really do. Uh, he even lived in my town and I met him a couple of times. Very cool. My question is this. Will we see a character like Rick O'Connell or Indiana Jones type hero ever again? Rick O'Connell fought the mummy in the mummy, mummy movies. I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, here's the thing. I, like you, have always liked Brendan Fraser. All the way back to George of the Jungle. I loved George of the Jungle. I love that movie. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I go back that. And wasn't, uh, what's what's Judd Apatow's wife's name again? Why am I freezing on her name? She was, she was the fucking French toast lady in uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin. And I love her. She's fantastic. Why am I freezing on her name? Help me up in the live chat. Leslie Mann. Thank you, Omar. Omar in 94 is the first one to yell at Leslie Mann as Al Johnson, uh, Brett, or Rhett, Ben, Marcus, and others. Yeah. So I believe that was Leslie Mann who was in George of the Jungle. I think that was Leslie Mann in George of the Jungle with uh, with uh, Brendan Fraser there. And I love him in Doom Patrol as a robot. I love him in Doom Patrol. And he's been returning to acting lately. I will say this. I don't know if there's a if he has some physical issues right now. I mean, look, Brendan Fraser, who I think is great, I'm not trying to body shame the dude at all, but he is physically not in the same place today that he was when he say did George of the Jungle or the Mummy movies, which I, I really liked him in the in that too, in the Mummy films. Um, he's in a different place physically right now. 
And I don't know if that's as a result of a physical condition or if it's just a lifestyle thing. Don't know what it is. But he's not physically in the place where he can play, you know, a mummy type character or an Indiana Jones type character uh, right now. He's just not in the physical place that he can do that. And again, I'm, I don't know if that's just a lifestyle choice or if that's he's got a physical condition or I, I mean, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But the only important thing is, is he happy in his life right now? If he's happy in his life, great. But I think that probably precludes him from playing one of those roles again. All I know is that I think he's a terrific actor. Um, he was in that one with Joe Pesci uh, that I absolutely loved. And I'm trying to remember with honors. Is it called with honors, guys? Help me out in the live chat. I think it was called with honors. But he did this one movie with, with Joe Pesci. And I that was the movie to me that... I was like, I always liked him already because of George of the Jungle. But the movie to me that made me go, oh my God, this guy can really act was, oh, and Jesse and Scotty uh, and uh, Banga are all saying, yes, it was called With Honors. It was With Honors that made me go, well, not only is he fun on screen, he's a really effing good actor. He's a really good actor. And so I love seeing him in Doom Patrol and I look forward to seeing him in other things as well. But I don't know if the adventurer role is, is for him anymore, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I sure hope so because I think the dude is amazing. All right, let's see. Uh, next up, we've got uh, the bus driver who killed Roy writes, what happens if a bus kills you? Avenge me. I love those are one of my favorite lines of the entire series. Anyway, hey, John, movie idea. A Harry Potter prequel, but centers around Professor Snape, Professor Snape's young life, and Adam Driver is the young Snape. What are your thoughts? Thank you for everything you do. I love watching the show, and it's nice as a fellow Canadian. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Well, I mean, I don't do, um, I don't do X actor and X role thing, so don't care about whether it's Adam Driver, or whoever. I love the Snape character. I think, that, honestly, I think the Snape character is the most interesting character when you understand his backstory and everything, like with with Harry's parents and everything like that, I think Snape is the most interesting character in all of Harry Potterdom, if that's a real word. Harry Potterdom. I think he's the most interesting character they've ever had. I personally wouldn't care for a prequel series. I, but you guys, but that's me and my bias, right? Like, I, I don't really like prequels. Like, I'm appreciating, I've liked the, um, what do you call them again? Fantastic Beasts movies. I've I've enjoyed the Fantastic Beasts movies. I thought the second one was even better than the first. Uh, I like those movies. But for me, I will always pick Move the Story Forward. And they've already done a prequel series with Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. I don't need another one. But, I mean, whatever. If they do, they do. I'll, I'll certainly check it out if they do. Because, again, Snape is the most interesting character to me in the entire franchise. But we'll have to see. All right. Next up. Uh, where are we at? Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, guys. DC fandom happened, and I didn't hear any uh, Zatanna casting news. Uh, I know who I want to see in that lead role. If you hear anything, call me. You already have my number. XOXO. Sincerely, Alexander Daddario. Um... Yeah, so a, a, that's yet another thing they didn't talk about at DC Fandom, but I wasn't I wasn't surprised. That, look, there's a lot of stuff I was surprised they didn't do at DC Fandom. DC Fandom this year was a complete bust, but I wasn't surprised that they didn't talk about Zatanna. That is a project that feels like it's still a little further off 
So I'm not surprised they didn't get around to that. I think we're probably still a ways. Now, again, X actor and X role. Uh, I don't really, I don't care about that. Now, I love Alexandra Daddario. And again, I never knew if I thought she could act or not until I saw her in True Detective. But then I saw her in a rom-com she did recently that wasn't so great, where she wasn't so fan. But I liked her in San Andreas with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. She, I believe she played, does she play Dwayne Johnson's daughter? I think she plays Dwayne Johnson's daughter in San Andreas. And I, I did like her in that too. But I mean, Alexander Daddario also besides that is just like male or female, one of the most stunningly beautiful creatures to walk the face of the earth, you know, man or woman. Like, she's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Uh, and I've liked her in a few things, so I don't know. But again, we're going to have to wait a while before we see any casting news, I think. All right. Uh, Dude Meister writes, Who does Oh Yeah catchphrase better? Kool-Aid Man or... Ma- oh, that's Macho Man. Ooh, yeah! I mean, that, that look, anything short of Batman, what is better? Who bakes better cookies? Macho Man or... Macho Man. Who designs... Better interior decorating. Macho Man or... I'm going to stop you right there. Macho Man. Who has the best sneaker collection? Macho Man? I, I'm going to stop you right there. Macho Man. Any, the answer is always Macho Man. The Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah! He, that, the answer is Macho Man. Okay? That's the answer. When you're in math class next week... I don't care if it's, you know, advanced physics in college or, you know, grade nine math or whatever. Whatever the problem the teacher puts on the board, raise your hand and say the answer is macho man. And I guarantee you they're going to pass you right there on the spot. You pass. They're just going to give you a passing grade right there. I promise you this. I I promise you this. You probably shouldn't take advice from me on this. But I'm just saying, just raise your hand and say the answer is macho man. When you're filling out your taxes next and it comes down to the end, it says, how much do you owe? Just write macho man and the government will give you a free pass. The answer is always macho man. Da, 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 Ooh, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, it's Macho Man. That's the answer. Sorry, getting carried away. Let's move on. Um, do, 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 do. Okay, Will Albright writes, um, Hey, John, I love your show. Thank you so much, Will. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the eternal score. I absolutely love Shang-Chi's score. The score in Shang-Chi was great. Um, it was so beautiful. I'm really hoping the score for Eternals is on that level of quality. Thanks. I really like the score in Eternals. I will say this, though. It didn't stand out for me as much as it did in Shang-Chi, but it's a very good score. It works really well. So, yeah, I, I, I like the Shang-Chi one more, but I thought it was great. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, I also yearn for more stories about mankind's place in a hero-saturated MCU. What about Marvel's damage control, the agency which they were supposed to do a while ago? I don't know whatever happened to that. The agency that cleaned up after superhero conflicts. A greenlit 2015 ABC series was thankfully canned. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. We've since had Free Guy, great, and DC's failed Powerless, not great. By the way, I will fight you on that, but let me finish your email first. Uh, Depict similarly themed tales of ordinary folk in extraordinary worlds. Also, Damage Control cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming is groundwork for great Disney Plus series. No, thanks, and bring on the, I don't know what end means, nasty? Probably meant filthy. Anyway, first of all, I will fight you, Anonymous, about Powerless. I actually loved Powerless. For those of you who don't know what Powerless was, 
Powerless was a one season only show. It lasted only for a year and then it got canceled because not a lot of people loved it like I did. And certainly not a lot of people watched it. But the whole idea of the show was it's um, it's a company that rivals um, is Star Labs, right? They rival Star Labs. They're the other company. They're, they're, they're their competition. They're Star Labs competition. And it's run by Bruce Wayne's idiot younger cousin named Van Wayne. V-A-N. Van Wayne. Played uh, brilliantly. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can bring up. Let me see if I can bring this up. Because um, I want to show you a picture or two of it as well, if I can. So the series was in 2017. And the main star was Vanessa Hudgens, by the way. But other people, like Danny Pudi was in it, of course, from uh, um, uh, Community. Ron Funches is in it. Um, it's a really good cast. But then you got Van Wayne, who was the highlight of the show for me. And Van Wayne was played by the immortal, fantastic Alan Tudyk, who I think is great. Of course, you know him from Serenity and Firefly, and he was Mr. Nobody in the first season of, of uh, Doom Patrol. And he's got his own new show out right now called uh, Resident Alien. I think it's called Resident Alien. I think it's, anyway, great show. Fantastic show. Love it. But he played Bruce Wayne's idiot younger cousin, Van Wayne, who runs this company. And so the whole show is kind of like The Office in a way where it's these people who work at this invention company to help make the world better and to help superheroes and help to people in the world superheroes. And they're all powerless, right? But they live in the world with Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman. I actually really like the show. I thought Powerless was really fun. And I miss it. I wish it got picked up for a second season, but it didn't click with a lot of people. And But I think a show like that Anonymous, I would love to see a show like that come back. But I don't know whether Damage Control is the one to do it or not. But I thought Powerless was good. But, oh, uh, well, that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Pelican Mike who writes, Warner Brothers released CW Flash trailer after Fandom to market the two Flash projects separately. That's not an excuse. Uh, didn't want Ezra footage to bury the CW footage. That's not an excuse. When people used hashtag Flash on social, it's a byproduct of two projects with the same character marketing at the same time. It doesn't matter. Because they still had... So for those of you know where, where Pelican Mike is coming from here, we talked... Last week, on last week's, I think the last episode we did, we talked about the fact that DC fandom was a complete bust, but it was really crazy to me that they released a bunch of casting news for Batgirl the day after DC fandom, and then two days after DC fandom, they released the first look footage at the Flash CW season eight series. It's like, so what the hell was DC fandom for? Everybody, golden boots. Who gives a flying F? I, you had the first footage of season eight of DC fandom, and you didn't show it? You you asked all the DC fans, come watch DC fandom, be a part of this four-hour stream. Come and join us, come and join us. Oh, but we're not going to show you shit. We're not, we're not going to show you this. We'll, we'll wait for two days later. We'll just drop it online. Well, what's the point? And I don't buy that excuse as well. They didn't want to overlap with the other flash. But that's like saying, um, well, they didn't want to show any Aquaman stuff because it was just going to get buried by the Batman trailer. Well, obviously, the Batman trailer buries everything. 
right? The Batman trailer buries everything. But this is DC fandom. You keep te- you tell us that this is the big event. Ooh, gotta be here for DC fandom. Oh, but we can't tell you this, and we can't show you this, and we can't do that, we can't do that, because we don't want it to get overshadowed by other things. We'll just drop it online later. Then my question stands. What is DC fandom for? We knew what it was for last year. Last year was great. DC fandom last year was a lot of fun. And you knew what it was for. So if you're just going to not show stuff so you can drop it online a couple days later, then what was the point of DC fandom? Why do we need to be at DC fandom if all you're just going to do is just drop the stuff online instead? Anyway, that, that's just kind of my take on it, dude. That's just my take on it. All right. Uh, next up, we've got, <clears throat> that was Mike Pelican. Now we've got, uh, we are not alone, right? Hey, John Rob, Rob's not here. Uh, my earlier question wasn't specific. So I was wondering, if particularly in the MCU, are there any comic threads where Earth becomes a common place for interplanetary species? I guess like S.W.O.R.D., but not so incognito. Uh, does MCU evolve to sci-fi? Well, I mean, first of all, MCU is not the comics. Remember that. MCU is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is different from the Marvel Comics Universe. Right. There's the Marvel comics and then there's the MCU. They're two different things. So are you asking in the Marvel comics, is there a storyline where Earth just becomes another residence for even tons and tons of alien species? I can't think of one off the top of my head. Rob would probably have a good a good answer to that. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, the only other thing I can think of that's not connected to Marvel is Men in Black. I mean, Men in Black is a pretty good example, something like that. So, uh, yeah, that's my thing. But I don't have another one. That's a good question. We are not alone. Good question. All right, next up. BK Dan writes, John, HBO Max lost 5 million subscribers, according to Variety, during Q3, but gained nearly 7 worldwide. HBO Max, according to its Twitter, is calling it a win. How can losing 5 million subscribers in four months be a win? Are they considering the larger picture? Thank you, and bring on the filthy. Yeah, listen, there's been a lot of spinning when it comes to HBO Max. Now, listen, let me be very clear. I'm a big fan of HBO Max. I love HBO Max. I watch a lot of stuff on HBO Max. I think it's a terrific service. And I would encourage everybody to get it. I think it's wonderful. Great content. I mean, they got all the an incredible library of content on there from all the old HBO stuff as well. HBO Max is a great service. If I could only keep like three of the streaming services, ooh, that would be tough. But I'll tell you what, Warner, HBO Max would be one of them. HBO Max would be one of them. Anyway, the reality is they have been playing the spin game with HBO Max's growth. Uh, They play the spin game a lot. When, yeah, have they added a good number of subscribers over the past year? Yes. But it's only been consistent growth with the growth they had before 2021 started. Like there was a growth trajectory for HBO Max prior to 2021. And once 2021 hit, you didn't see a significant uptick in that. It just kind of kept its same growth trajectory that it already had. And which tells us a couple of things. Primarily that their day and date release of their movies on HBO Max was a complete bust it didn't really get any new people to sign up for the service because the growth rate was just consistent with what it was before they started doing that anyway. 
Then they lost 5 million subscribers. But you also got to remember that it wasn't just an organic loss of 5 million subscribers. There were a bunch of people that were subscribed to HBO Max through Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime just dropped HBO Max. So anybody that was a subscriber to HBO Max content through Amazon Prime were now gone. That's why HBO Max offered this new discounted introductory rate to try to get some of those Amazon Prime members who now weren't subscribed to HBO Max to come over and re-sign up at a lesser price point. So that doesn't account for all 5 million subscribers that they lost, but you got to understand a good chunk of that was from that as well. So yeah, look, I don't think HBO's in trouble at all, to be honest with you, but it's not their results have not been as rosy as they've been trying to spin it. And they've been trying to spin hard. They've been trying to spin very, very hard. But as for me, I love the service. I think HBO Max is fantastic. All right, next up. Uh, Henri Mertens writes, While I think it looks entertaining, the Uncharted trailer makes it look like an adventure of Tintin movie and not Uncharted. What do you think? I personally don't agree. I thought I listen, I saw a lot of people whining and complaining online. That's what we as film. I do it too. We all do it. I saw a lot of people online whining and complaining about the Uncharted. I thought the Uncharted, I'm not gonna lie to you, I thought the Uncharted trailer was great. I mean, not as good as the Batman trailer, but I thought the Uncharted trailer was great. I thought it, it communicated a lot of fun. I thought it communicated a really great uh, communicated a really great personality to the movie. I myself am very much looking forward to this, and I thought the trailer was great. So yeah, yeah that was just, that was me, Henri. That was me. All right, next up. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, though, man. All right, Norwegian Mountain Troll writes. They tips in like twenty dollars. Thank you for that, man. Appreciate that. Uh, writes in. Hey, John. So. DC fandom didn't restore the Snyderverse and Megan Fox didn't knock on my door to do the horizontal swing. Uh, John C. didn't put ketchup on his eggs, but strangely enough, the Swedish still put bananas on their pizzas. What's going on? Wait a minute. I have to wait a second. Sorry. I'm now distracted. Do, do, do people in Sweden actually, I, I've never heard of this. Are you just joking? Or do people in Sweden actually put bananas on their pizza? I, I No, seriously. Do people in Sweden actually put bananas on their pizza? I've never heard of this. So I don't know if that's a joke or if that's a serious thing. Because if that's a serious thing, that's horrifying. That's horrifying. Not as horrifying as people who put pineapple on their pizzas. Look, I'm all for live and let live. I'm all for live and let live. You know, you've got your way of doing life. I've got my way of doing life. And we can all live together in happy harmony. But if you put pizza, pineapple on your pizza, you're, you're less than human. Don't t- Don't talk to me. There is something I think you're bad for our family values. I think you're bad for our society. I think you represent a deterioration in the moral code and moral core of who we are as a people. Ah, pineapple on pizza. What's wrong with you people? What's wrong? You're an affront to the natural world order. Putting pineapple on pizza. What are you guys doing? Pretty sure my buddy puts pineapple on pizza. We have this argument all the time. Uh, it's always a fun time when I got a bunch of buddies over watching uh, UFC fights when we order pizza. And the, inevitably, the should we put pineapple argument comes over. Anyway, uh, Rob W. writes, uh, let's see here. John, I just got my tickets for Dune this Saturday. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I've been waiting literally decades for this movie ever since playing the Dune 2 RTS game in the 90s. I don't remember that one. Uh, did you ever play the game or any others in the series? No, I never did. I never did. 
I never played, uh, I, I never did play the game. I wasn't even familiar with the game, to be honest with you. I didn't know there was, unless I knew and just totally forgot about it, but I did not know there was a Dune real-time strategy game. And now I'm going to have to go and look it up, though, because now I'm totally interested in that. Uh, okay, next up. Uh Adrian Line Knight writes, Adrenaline Knight writes, uh, Hello, John and friends. Do you think older movies should like Sixth Sense? Let me try this again. <laughs> Hello, John and friends. Do you think older movies should, like Sixth Sense, Usual Suspects, and Fight Club, should go back to have a spoiler warning? Uh, more people become movie fans every day, and some have not seen these movies. Thank you, John and friends. You know what? It's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate question. Because <laughs> obviously, people who aren't idiots know that, hey, there should be a little bit of a spoiler window for when there's a brand new movie coming out. Don't spoil the surprises in it for people, blah, 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 blah. But what about older movies? Like Sixth Sense, Usual Suspects, Fight Club. I would say no. You don't put spoiler warnings back into that because to me as and i'll give you an example here in a second but to me as a film fan community at some point whether it's four weeks after a movie comes out or four months after a movie comes out or whatever but at some point we as a film fan community need to be able to openly discuss these things they're history now uh, usual suspects is it's, it's history now. It's a history of film. Sixth Sense is now a part of the history of film. Fight Club is a part of the history of film. We've got to be able to openly discuss these things. Let me compare it to sports. It's not a direct apples-to-apples comparison, but it's close enough. Like, if I'm at a movie that night, I may tell people, da 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 don't tell me who won the Lakers game tonight. Blah-blah-blah, don't tell me who won the Leafs game. Uh, don't tell me who won the Patriots game because I need to go home and see it for myself. But, you know, after that one or two days, people got to be able to openly talk about, my God, did you see the Leafs win that Leafs game? Ah, you spoiled it for me. Like, you know, in Super Bowl 18, man, when this, oh, no, 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 don't tell me. I don't know what happened in Super Bowl 18. You can't do that. It's now part of film history. I think we as film fandom need to have a safety zone time period where it's like, you got to give people a chance who want to see this movie a chance to actually see it. So you got to give it its theatrical run, whatever, like give people a chance to see the movie before you just start openly talking about spoilers. But after that, nah, man, it's film history. Now we, we can't be walking around on eggshells not to talk about. So yeah, no, I don't think you reinstitute, spoiler warnings for older movies. I don't think you do it. Yes, there are new film fans every day, but it's part of history now. It's part of history. You know, it's like, man, that when Kirk Gibson hit the walk-off home run and, you know, to be, oh, I didn't watch that yet. Like, no, it's part of history now. So that's that's kind of my take on it. It's a good question, though, man. It's a very, very interesting question. All right, Adrenaline Knight also writes, hello again, and thank you for your clear spoiler warnings when talking about big movies, unlike some people who put it in the thumbnail. Yeah, no, I I hate it when people do that. I hate it when people do that. Because even if you're trying to avoid spoilers and you just open your phone and you're like you're on YouTube, somebody puts a giant spoiler right in their thumbnail. I, I understand. That's irritating. That's very, very irritating. Anyway, Alan Gonzalez writes, 
Hey, John, I hope you're doing well. I am doing well, my friend. Thank you for asking. I just want to say that I'm very excited. J.J. Abrams is filming a new show called Duster. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, here in Tucson. And the reason I'm excited is that I sent in my info to be an extra. Have you heard anything about the show? I have never heard about it. No. What's it called? Let me look this up here. Uh, what's it called? Duster? Duster. Let's see if there's anything in here on this. I'm not seeing anything on IMDb about it unless it's the Joss Holloway show. Okay, so this is what I am finding. Uh, it's it's going to star Josh Holloway, who was, of course, in J.J. Abrams' Lost series. And by the way, he's also in, um, what's the name of the one with, uh, what's the ranch show on right now on Paramount Plus? Uh, oh, guys what's the what's the movie what's the show i'm thinking about right now on paramount on paramount plus with the ranch and yellowstone thank you red comet yellowstone so red comet kaiju revan ben brian everybody's game yellowstone so josh holloway's also in yellowstone uh right now which is really great but he was in that so uh, so it reads as uh, set in the 1970s Southwest, the life of a gutsy getaway car driver for a growing crime syndicate goes from awful to wildly, stupidly, dangerously awful. I like the sounds of the synopsis. I didn't know anything about it, but I'll keep my eyes open for it. Thanks for putting it on my radar, man. All right, next up. And by the way, Yellowstone is awesome. If you haven't yet, go back and watch the first couple of seasons before season three comes out. I am loving Yellowstone. All right, uh, Victor Vodka writes, Hey, John and Co., Here's my unsolicited pitch for the next video game adaptation, Duke Nukem. There was there were several attempts to get a Duke Nukem movie made, uh, written and directed by James Gunn, starring John Cena in the style of Fast Saga meets Deadpool. No, okay then, I'm not a Duke Nukem fan, but I pay to see that. Yeah, listen, I really like Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem was one of the first video games. I mean, this was back in the era of like Dune and uh, Heretic. And, you know, Wolfenstein, a Duke, I mean, Duke Nukem was a little bit later, but Duke Nukem was one of the first video games I played where the, like the dialogue in the game was strictly hilarious. The dialogue in Duke Nukem is so freaking funny. And there have been several attempts of them trying to get a Duke Nukem movie made. Maybe at some point, it's got to happen at some point. It's got to happen. There's just too much potential there. All right. Uh, BK Dan writes, John, you can't say absolute zero chances that Joker versus Batman will happen. Only Siths deal in absolutes. Yeah, I, listen. I I could be wrong, totally, but I, will, I very rarely, if ever, say absolute zero. I always say there's a small 1%, 2% chance. But the idea that Joaquin Phoenix... Joaquin Phoenix's Joker will cross over with Robert Pattinson's Joker. I feel safe in saying absolute zero to that. I, that's It's not going to happen. Now watch, it happens next week. But, no, it ain't going to happen. There's no way. Number one, the director of, Joaquin, of, of the Joker would never do it. Two, Joaquin Phoenix would never do it. Three, the timelines don't add up. You'd be having a 70-something-year-old Joker fighting Robert Pattinson's Batman. <clears throat> it just doesn't line up. I don't think it lines up. Now, who knows? Maybe they shock the world and we find out that they do. So uh, I will be a Sith for that, BK. I will be a Sith for that. All right, next up. Uh, CDB writes, New Star Star Wars book revealed that the goal of the rule of two, uh, the rule of two Sith and Palpatine's ultimate plan was to create a dyad, 
I don't like Lucasfilm retconning a dyad, something made for episode nine and mentioned at the end being as the ultimate goal of the Sith. I don't really care. Honestly, I, 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 I have rejected the books as anything other than good fantasy. Like there are some really good Star Wars books, but I never honestly consider them part of canon. But John, they said the books are part. I, I don't care what they said. They've they've actually broken canon several times in the books already. Like in the newer books, there are some fantastic books. Uh, like absolutely, the the Tarkin book is fantastic. There's a number of them that are really good. Lost Stars is fantastic. Um, uh, the, the one about Vader and the emperor going as something Sith. Anyway, um, there's some great books, but honestly, when I read them and I kind of gave up on reading them about a year ago, although I did try the new, um, um, what's it called? The, not the old Republic, the high Republic. I did do the first book of the high Republic series, but honestly, when I read them, I, I just consider them like fan fiction. And some of them are great, but I don't actually take them seriously. So, yes, that whole idea of introducing a new thing and then trying to say this new thing that we just made up has actually been a part of everything all along. It's like, come on, stop it. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. Anyway, uh, next up, Film Fan Rant writes, Hey, John and Aaron. Uh, obviously, Aaron was, was here on Thursday. Uh, with the bust of DC fandom, the Flash teaser did give us a quick look at Supergirl, Sarah Ka- Callie, but it's so fast, we missed it. Ah, yes. Well, but remember, too, I believe last year at DC fandom, didn't they show us Supergirl in some concept art? I thought they did at any rate. Listen, I know some Supergirl concept art came out earlier whether it was all the way back to last DC fandom or sometime between now and the last DC fandom. But no, it was good seeing her in that shot. That was kind of fun to see. All right, next up. The Jughead One writes, Wow, John, your rant at Adam Aaron. Adam Aaron is, of course, the, the uh, CEO of AMC. That I kind of ranted on that a little bit on our last episode. Uh, wow, you were like Mel Stonebanks Gibson in the scene when he was ranting at Barney Ross in Expendables 3. Uh, regarding a solo Batflick movie directed by Affleck, it would have been awesome. Oh, I have no doubt, man. I have no doubt. I Now look, don't get me wrong. I'm super, if it can't be Ben Affleck, I am super excited for the Batman as directed by Matt Reeves. I got a lot of faith in Matt Reeves. I think the movie's going to be great. The trailer is like, Maybe the second best comic book trailer I've ever seen. Like the best comic book movie trailer ever is Logan. Like by a mile. By a mile. But the second best trailer is either to me the first Batman versus Superman trailer that they played at Comic-Con. Because that trailer is awesome. Or this new Batman trailer. It's one of the two. First, Logan, but this one might be the second. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But yeah, man, make no mistake about it. The one I drool for, the one that sends blood rushing to my loins is the idea of a Ben Affleck written by, directed by, starring in Batman movie. That's what I really wanted. And I'm super grateful that we're getting the, the Matt Reeves one. I am super grateful. And very excited for it. But that's the one I wanted to see, dude. That's the one I really wanted to see. All right, next up. 
We've got uh, the Jughead one also writes continued. I state that as a bat as a bat bail fan, uh, Ben Affleck's direction in Argo, that airport scene was incredible. Argo, of course, won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, oh my God, love and respect to yourself, John Rob, all the way from the UK, bros. Well, thank you for writing in, Jughead. I appreciate that, man. And yes, Argo is awesome. If you haven't seen Ben Affleck's movie Argo, go check it out. All right, Mailstorm writes. John and Robert, Rob's not here right now. Uh, now that you two have seen Dune and The Eternals, how do you think they will do at the Oscars? Genre films do well in technical categories, and these two seem to be fighting it out for the same awards. What awards would you give them now? Well, I, it's it's. Listen, you can't talk about awards when you haven't seen all the movies coming out this year, even technical ones. So I wouldn't be handing out any awards right now until I see what all the competition is going to be. I will say this though. It is difficult to imagine another movie winning Best Visual Effects over Dune. The effects were stunning. Like, absolutely stunning to me. Um, so, if something else... I'm not ready to hand the award to Dune for that, but because there's a lot to still come out this year. But if the Oscars were being done today, and I was the one handing out the hardware... Uh, and it was today I would probably be giving best visual effects to Dune. I'm really, I thought the visual effects were that they look so photorealistic. It kind of made my jaw drop. All right. Next up the sock writes, I've been looking forward to the uncharted movie for so long. It felt like a myth. I was as excited about it as I was when I saw the trailer for the force awakens. This trailer lives up to the hype uh, for, and I've never done this, but I may call out to see it. I don't know what that call out to see it means, but Listen, I'm with you, but I think you and me are in, are in a rare company there, Sock. I I thought the trailer was great. I really did. I thought it was great. A lot of people are moaning about it, just like we all moan about certain things we don't like, but I thought it was wonderful. I'm glad you did too, Max. I think it looks like a lot of fun. All right, Dangerous D writes, um, Hey, John, I asked you before, we can't, we can't DC Comics use the thousands of characters they have in their vault instead of the handful of characters they use and have different versions, Batman, Superman, etc. I love all but the 90% of others need to shine. Yes. Uh, I know some them might, I know some them might be a puberty hair Avenger, but I'm saying make the characters that the fans been clamoring for like metal men, Legion of superheroes, etc. Uh, look, look at, okay. Um, number one, the fans have not been clamoring for metal men, nor have the fans been clamoring for Legion of superheroes. This is a thing that a lot of people in fandom get confused about. They want or like something and their buddies like, or want something. And then they mistakenly say, the fans want this. No, I know a lot of fans, and I don't know anybody who's clamoring for a metal man. I'm not saying, I'm not talking against metal men. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with metal men. I'm not saying they shouldn't do one. I'm just saying, uh, no, the fans are not clamoring for metal men. I get thousands of emails and messages every week. I can't recall ever getting one but people saying, I want Metal Men or I want Legion of Superheroes. The fans have not been clamoring for them. I'm sure there are some people that would really like it. Absolutely. But it's just, I get in these arguments with people all the time when I hear, the fans, like in, in Marvel, the fans want this. 
pray tell, who are the fans that you speak of? Because I'm a fan of Marvel and I don't want what you're just asked for. I know a bunch of people who are Marvel fans and they don't want what you just asked for. So who are the fans? Whenever I see somebody say the fans want, what they're really saying is that they want it. Never think that you speak on behalf of all the fans or never assume that you speak on, on behalf of the majority of the fans. So I'm just, I'm just saying that. Um, but again, you can't just take any character you have in your library and invest a hundred million dollars in it. You got to have a belief that it can, it has some, some public awareness that there's potential there that it could work with a general movie going audience. You can't just throw any character you've got in your archives and just throw it up there and invest a lot of money. You're going to go broke that way. So they got to be a little bit careful. You know what I'm saying? Dangerous. They got to be a little bit careful. All right. Dangerous also writes, Hey John, I saw legends of tomorrow and they took out John Constantine from their regular cast. I heard about that. I think it was a good idea to finally take him out and bad idea that they put him in that show in the first place. He didn't belong there at all. He needed to be in Justice League Dark. I'm going to disagree with you. I thought he was a nice... Now, I don't watch Legends of Tomorrow anymore. I, I finally kind of tapped out on that show. I did watch it for a number of years, but I, I tapped out on it. I thought the addition of John Constantine was a really nice addition. Um, they needed new characters because they were losing characters. A lot of people really did enjoy... Uh, I forget the actor's name, but his portrayal of Constantine... And it kind of gave it a, a false sense of continuity as well. And he was a really good, he was a good entertaining character. He had a very unique personality to the show. And I thought it was a nice addition. Matt Ryan is the name of the actor. Crash and Coyote put that in, as did Darren J. Seeley and Al Johnson. Uh, Matt Ryan's the guy's name. Um, I thought he was a nice addition to the show. Uh, but I mean, look, every show has characters and loses characters and adds more characters. The rate of turnaround on characters on Legends of Tomorrow in just a couple of seasons, like just in a handful of seasons, was kind of crazy. It's one of the reasons why I eventually kind of jumped off of it. All right, next up. Uh, Barley Bunny writes, Hey, John. Uh, when talking on today's episode, this would have been uh, the last episode we did, about why Shang-Chi isn't on VOD or physical media yet after 45 days, it may remember Fred Claus with Vince Vaughn, which came to theaters November 9th, 2007, and released on DVD November 25th, 2008. It happens, people. That's a great example, Barley. So what Barley's talking about is on the last episode we did, somebody was asking, he's like, hey, wait a minute. It's been 45 days since Shang-Chi opened in theaters. Why isn't it out on VOD now? Why did they push it and delay it till November 12th? Why are they doing this? And one of the things we had to point out is it has always been the case, even when there was a 90-day theatrical window for movies, it has always been the case that that doesn't mean that's when you drop a movie on home video. You can, but just like the theatrical release where the studio wants to plan when is the most effective time for us to release this movie in theaters, they'll also want to be strategic about when they release it on home video. Uh, uh, Fred Claus is a great example for that. It's a Christmas movie. We'll probably get more people buying it if we drop it for home video around Christmas time. So they delayed it like a full year. But yeah, just because there's a 45-day window, that does not automatically mean that every movie will open on home video 45 days after it opens in theaters. That's not the case. Maybe it'll be a week after that. Maybe it'll be a month after that. Maybe it'll be three months after that. But every studio will release it on home video when they think it'll be a good time for them to maximize their profits. All right, great, great thing to bring up. The great example, Barley. All right, next up. Barley Bunny also writes, 
Hi, John. Having seen Black Widow, Pig, and Lamb this year, I guess you could say the Charlotte's... <laughs> I was thinking about this myself. The Charlotte's Web Cinematic Universe is off to an interesting start. Thanks for you and all your guts, uh, all your guests do. And remember, John, you're a real guy. You're a real guy. Good Kevin, good Kevin Feige compliment there. You're a good guy. You're a real guy. Uh, bring on the filthy. Yeah, by the way, I have adored every iteration of Charlotte's Web. From the old animated thing, the children's book, uh, to when they've tried. I love Charlotte's Web. Love Charlotte's Web. Love that story so much. All right, anyway, next up. Scott Brown writes. Only got a few minutes left here, guys. Scott Brown writes, Midnight Mass is fantastic. I still haven't started watching it. Everybody's telling me it's great. It has a great cast with excellent writing, acting, and directing. It's written and directed by Mike Flanagan, which I'm very familiar with. Uh, I've seen everything he's done and love his work. Also, a movie of his on Netflix that's fantastic, too, is Hush. Listen, everybody's been talking to me about Midnight Mass. I What's really funny is... um. I got invited. I think I told this story before. Netflix invited me to to watch the series early. And I had never even heard of it at the time. So I kind of, I took a pass on it. I never watched it. Then it dropped on Netflix. And I've had so many people writing to me about it. Um, I am going to do Midnight Mass for sure. I'm absolutely going to jump on this and start watching. I just haven't had a chance yet. But everybody's telling me it's great. So I will get around to it, man. All right, next up. We got an anonymous viewer who tips in like $20. Thank you, anonymous. Appreciate that, man. Who writes, hey, John, sure you talked about it, but what are your thoughts on the show of Midnight Mass? Here we go. More Midnight Mass. I binged it in the course of a day and was blown away. Mike Flanagan really knows how to direct good horror. Uh, The way he can tell a good story is top notch. Again, haven't started watching it yet, but I absolutely believe, but I absolutely will, I should say. So thank you, anonymous, for adding to the pile, the ever-growing pile of recommendations that I start watching this. And as soon as I watch it, I will give my thoughts on it on the show. I promise. All right. Thanks for that anonymous. Next up. And another anonymous viewer writes, no, you're a big hockey fan. Absolutely. So we'll just uh, follow up on my previous post with let's go flyers, man. I remember the flight me all the way back to the broad street bullies, man. The, the, the flyers are an iconic team back to the days of Bobby Clark Fast forward a bunch of decades to, I used to love watching Ron Hextall play, man. He was, I mean, maybe the best puck handling goalie in history. Might have been Ron Hextall. Might have been him. Now, I, of course, am a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so screw y'all Flyers. But, yeah, seriously, Flyers, one of the most storied uh, franchises in the history Um in the history of the NHL. By the way, I just want to uh, shout out that uh, Brush and Ryu Cat sends in a super chat badge in the live chat, as does Dragon 10. They both send in super chat badges. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that very much. All right. Next up, we got Murray Reich, who writes, one of three. I know you aren't a big fan of the Halloween franchise. I love the 2018 one. Love the 2018 one. Uh, I happen to like some of their entries, like one, two, four, and seven. I also kind of respect what they went for in three. Like the 2018 movie, it used a lot of inspiration from the old canon films, but Halloween Kills was a pretty disappointing movie. It ended so abruptly, like there was no payoff. Some good visceral kills, but it lacked a lot of story slash character depth. I was so upset that they sidelined Laurie. Uh, the only be- the the only best part of the film 
that was great were the flashback scenes from 1978. Those are kind of interesting. I understand that this is part of a new trilogy, but you could have ended the film so much better. Luckily, I won't have to wait more than a year, unlike fans that wasted six years in between Halloween 5 and 6. Yeah, look, man, I will... Uh, I'll tell you right now, I was I was I was quite disappointed with Halloween Kills. And I say that as a huge fan of the last one, the 2018. I love it. Absolutely love it. This one was pretty weak. This one was pretty weak. Um, okay, so somebody in the live chat, just let me side note here. Somebody in the live chat saying, John drinking in the middle of sentence is annoying. I, I say this wholeheartedly. Go fuck yourself. Listen. You try doing a live show daily where you're talking straight for two hours, especially a live show where I don't happen to have a desk on today, a guest on today, and I am nonstop talking for two plus hours. I will do what I need to do to keep my throat from being completely wrecked because it's almost really wrecked right now. So I'm sorry that you don't like that. I have to stop for my own health and to keep myself going to take a sip. Go fuck yourself and do your own show. I, I do what I absolutely need to do to be able to function. So there's that. Let's see you do what I do. I don't think you can. Anyway, sorry. Did that, did that sound annoyed? Yes, that annoyed me because it's very annoying because my throat is killing me when I do these things and I have to do what I have to do to be able to keep going. Anyway, <clears throat> let's keep going, shall we? Uh, next. Uh, oh, anyway, flashback. I will say this about the, about Halloween kills. Uh, I will say this about Halloween Kills. That two things. I saw a new commercial for Halloween Kills, like on Peacock now, and you hear Lori saying, Michael dies, and I'm the one who's going to do it. And then this other thing is, um, Michael's coming for me, and I'm coming for him. And I'm like, minor, minor, minor spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Halloween Kills yet. But Lori never leaves the hospital in this movie. There's nothing like the commercials. Uh, Michael's coming for me and I'm coming for him. Yeah. None of that is in the movie. There is no Michael coming for Lori and there is no Lori going after Michael. That's not in this movie. So that, that part annoyed me a little bit. The, the other thing too, that annoyed me about it was, and again, I'm not going to give away any details is that the parts of the movie that worked or at least worked to a degree were the parts with Lori her daughter, her granddaughter, and Michael. That stuff was working. And the flashbacks were pretty good too. Some of them were pretty hammy, but still, for the most part, it was pretty cool. But then what they did, and I understand what they were going for, they introduced a new set of characters that were kind of like the the average residents of the town that were being, you know, terrorized by, by Michael Myers. I found that whenever they broke away from the main characters to focus on these side characters with, with Michael C. Hall. And I really liked Michael C. Hall, by the way, but I found like the movie just lost all. So like, I don't care about these guys. I don't care about these characters. I want to see Laurie versus Michael. And I just felt like the, the movie lost a lot of its steam when it did that. Although I will say this for those of you who've seen the movie, big John and little John were great. Uh, did I say Anthony C. Hall? I meant Anthony Michael Hall. Thank you. Uh, Darren G.H. Seeley corrected me. That Anthony Michael Hall, not not Anthony C. Hall. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, thanks for the correction. Um, I really did like Big John and Little John. I, I will admit that. Like at first, when Big John, again, I'm going to give no details away. But for those of you who've seen the movie, when Big John and Little John first showed up in the movie, I'm like, well, this is kind of cliche and stupid. But as the movie progressed, I'm like, 
I would watch an entire sitcom of Big John and Little John. I would totally watch that. But anyway, yeah, there was that. Um, okay, next up. Uh, thanks for that, Murray. Appreciate that, dude, very much, man. All right, last question of the day will come to us from Sir Q27, uh, who writes, uh, one of five. Hi, John. Thanks for all the fun content. Well, thank you for being here, man. I'm currently a university student studying to get their degree in physics. Very cool. And while I definitely don't claim to be an expert or even good, I've probably worked a few more physics problems than the average person. So take this with a huge grain of salt, but I'm not sure that the airplane thing at the end of the Uncharted trailer is against the laws of physics. I've had a few people write to me to tell me this. I'll explain that in a second, but let's keep reading the email. I'm not sure that the airplane thing at the end of the Uncharted trailer is as against the laws of physics as you and Aaron appear to think. Assuming Tom... The crates and the plane are all moving at the same velocity relative to Earth, which they appear to be, and that the rope shown is connecting everything to the plane. Everything important in the scene is actually stationary in this reference frame. Nothing is preventing him from pushing off of the crates and therefore the plane, adding to his existing velocity and getting back on board. It's similar to walking around inside of a moving train. It also looks like the filmmakers know this since he pushes off the last box just before the rope snaps. It's totally insane, and I'd probably take a Herculean feat of strength, especially with air resistance, but it's not straight-up F9 levels of impossible. Don't take my word for it, though. I'm only an average student. Okay, listen, though. You do bring up a very good point that I had somebody else. So what we're talking about here is this. In the Uncharted trailer, which I really liked, the one thing that was kind of Fast 9 cringy to me was that scene where he's hanging, a direct homage to that video game moment, by the way. But the airplane scene, when he jumps from the crate, flying out the back of the plane, that's connected to the plane, and jumps back in the plane. I'm like, that's kind of cringy. Somebody else wrote to me, Sir Q, with a very similar example. They said, look, imagine this, John. You're, you're in an airplane flying to Toronto or something. Your body at that point is traveling at the same velocity that the plane is traveling. So what they said to me, the way they explained it to me is this. If you stand up in the, in the aisleway of your plane that you're flying in, like your passenger plane, and you stand beside your seat, if you jump up in the air, you will still land beside your seat. Because you're moving, your body is moving at the velocity of the plane. So like if you, if the seat is here and you jump up, it's not like if you jump up, the seat will then be over here because the plane's moving and you land here. No, no, you're going to land right beside the seat again because your body is moving at that velocity. So if Tom Holland's, you know, Nathan Drake, if his body is moving at the same velocity as the crate and the plane, then him using force to push himself off the crate, theoretically could put him back in the plane. Okay, I've had people explain that to me, and that makes sense. I get that. So maybe it wasn't as cringy as... Because when I first saw that, I'm like, I love this trailer, but that's kind of cringy. You know what? Maybe it wasn't as cringy as I thought. Maybe it wasn't as cringy as I thought. So I will take those of you who understand physics better than I do, uh, I will take your word for it on that because that now the way you explained it and the way that the person who gave me the airplane example explained it, that does make sense to me, but I'm not a physicist. So I will stop my complaints about that plane shot. I will stop my complaints about the plane shot. Thank you for bringing that up, Sir Q. I appreciate that. Okay, guys, listen. 
There are still more outstanding questions to come from JJ, Dangerous D, Crashing Coyote, and others. Do not worry, guys. We're going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and we should get all cut up, at least up, up to the questions that got sent in to the end of today's show. So we'll get all cut up. Keep your eyes open for that companion video a little bit later today. But for now, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big thank you to all you guys who sent in the Super Chat badges and the live chat questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported our channel while you did it and all of us involved with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for your support. All right, guys, don't forget to come back and join us again for tomorrow's installment of the John Campus Show and, of course, that companion video a little bit later today. But that'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.